Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, the Comcast-Time Warner merger. All right, so Richard, we've got this big potential merger coming up before the FCC and the Justice Department between Time Warner and Comcast. So uh, before we go into the, the specifics of this deal, let's just talk a little bit about the, the antitrust terms in general, the terms that the, the FCC and the Justice Department is going to be looking at. What are, what are the key variables they're going to be looking at here to decide whether the merger should be approved? What's going to separate a good deal from a bad deal? Okay. Well, look, this is not an easy question. Essentially, antitrust law has the following basic provision. What it's worried about is the creation of monopoly by voluntary consent between private parties. And the concern with monopolies is that when you take into account the full set of social benefits and costs, the two parties to the monopoly arrangement, whether by merger or by cartelization, that is dividing of markets either by territories or by setting common prices, will tend to gain something, but the rest of the community may lose more. And so this is a case in which the private gains of the parties are not an accurate proxy for the overall social welfare, and the antitrust law is designed to come in there to limit it. Now, there are three kinds of cases, roughly speaking, where this issue starts to arise. Uh, the first of these cases is the so-called naked cartel. That's a term that goes back to the late 19th century, and it was done by Chief Justice Tass when he was actually sitting on the Sixth Circuit. And a naked restraint is something that's supposed to give you lots of benefits for the trading parties but have only negative consequences for the rest of the world. And the rule with respect to these things is that the antitrust law blocks them and it's close to a per se rule which means you have to have a very powerful specified objection or, or explanation as to why you're combining these particular behaviors or the merger will be banned or private parties can sue. And most people regard this is the correct accommodation. At the other end, there's something known as predation. And what predation says is I'm going to drive you out of business by lowering my prices to the point where you cannot match it because I'm going below my cost and your cost. When you drop out of the market, I'll raise everything back up again and recoup all my losses. And I think it's widely regarded in the antitrust literature that predation is essentially an intellectual pipe dream. Um, you could talk about it abstractly, but the number of cases in which you can actually observe it are extremely few because the counter strategies to it are so utterly powerful. Uh, if you want to drive somebody out by selling below cost, you have to flood the market and take ever larger losses on each additional unit. And if he then just sits on the side for a while, when you come back in, he enters as a competitive level stronger than you are, so the thing is going to fail. The hard cases turn out to be merger cases because what a merger does is it reduces the concentration um, the number of competitors in the industry and thereby increases the concentration of the dominant firm. But at the same time, it may well provide various kinds of efficiencies. So in the uh, situation with respect to Comcast and, and the Time Warner operation cable, uh, the basic argument is, look, one company is really up to date on the technology. It doesn't work in the area that the other company is going to do. And if one company improves the other company's technology, if it turns out they could create certain joint cost savings and 
so forth, then what happens is that the public gains in terms of efficiency, even if it loses something in terms of monopoly. And uh, the work of Oliver Williamson some years ago on the famous merger diagram starts to talk about the welfare losses from monopoly and the efficiency gains from better performance. These things are very hard to measure in the abstract. So instead of having this done through judicial review after the merger takes place, you get these DOJ investigations beforehand to see whether or not the trade-offs work correctly one way or another. And that's why this thing perfectly appropriately sits in this institutional home. Now, part of the the public backlash against this has been the idea that if you put Comcast and, and Time Warner together, you're creating this sort of mega corporation that they'd end up controlling. I think it's about fifty percent of the, the high speed internet across the country. Is that is that cause for concern? How do you analyze those issues? Well, I mean, the first thing to note is that um, yes, it will do that across the country, but the question is whether or not it will increase concentration. And here, the key fact on this is that both Comcast and Time Warner work in different markets. There's no overlap between them. So what happens is if you're facing a monopoly provider of one high-speed internet supplier called Time Warner Cable, um, after the merger, it's still going to be only one party. If they had an ability to extract the monopoly profit beforehand, they have it afterwards, but it doesn't get any greater. Um, So that the basic argument on the other side is that given the way in which the industry is organized, there's no increase in monopoly power. Now, the way in which this normally reflects itself is oftentimes you have merges between two companies that actually do have competition in given markets. And so what the Justice Department also says is to the two banks, look, um, when we start looking at the Tennessee market, if we combine the two of you, you're going to be 78% there, even if you're only 32% everywhere else. You got to divest some of your units, give it to some other supplier so that the uh, reduction in concentration can allay some of the concerns that we have about monopoly. But in this case, as far as I can tell, it doesn't seem as though there's anything like that which is on the table given the separations between the markets. And yet it seems as though the efficiency gains are there. So that's the first point. The second point is, generally speaking, using static numbers in a dynamic industry with technological changes is always a mistake. Uh, let's suppose that it is correct that there's only one of these guys at very high speeds in any given market. The way to solve this problem is not to block a merger, which may make that company work better and may in fact allow it greater leverage uh, to get lower prices for its consumers. It's to make sure that the entry or the improvement to some rival cable company or some rival technological company is in fact going to be facilitated. Uh, The way you beat monopoly is by creating a second firm rather than trying to regulate and throttle the first firm, which is one of the reasons why I'm quite opposed to most of the new net neutrality legislations that are being put forward in this particular case. So trying to get this new entry is, I think in general, probably the way in which you ought to go. And then understand too, you have no idea what the relevant market is. Cable is a way of delivering video entertainment of one form or another. I do some work with the Free State Foundation and we sent a bunch of papers into the FCC on this. And our view is that the public interest, convenience and necessity standard just leads to all sorts of troubles. In a dynamic industry of this sort, it's not the mode of delivery, it's Your competitors are determined by the substitutability of your products. And if there's cable and if there's dish and if 
there's Netflix you could get on your computer. You don't think of these guys as having a monopoly because they're part of a larger entertainment market. And indeed, Comcast has lost a lot of subscribers in recent years precisely because of the other ways of getting to the content that you want. So looked at in this dynamic sense, again, it doesn't seem like this is a serious problem. And you know, a lot of these objections were raised to the AOL Time Warner merger of 2000 or 2001. And you know, the whole thing cratered, not because of the antitrust laws, but because these guys could not improve their game in the face of new competition coming in from strange sources. So just quoting the current numbers is a guaranteed way to get you to misunderstand and in one direction only uh, the stakes involved. Current numbers lead you to think there's a more serious problem than in fact there is. You mentioned net neutrality a moment ago. Can you explain for our listeners the role that that plays and whether or not this deal gets approved? Because Comcast's attitude towards certain aspects of net neutrality really seems to have been shaped by how they think it might help or hinder them in getting this deal finished. Well, look, I mean, what the argument is that if you're a vertically integrated company and you've got some content that you own and you have a set of pipes on which you send it, that the danger is that what you're going to do is to give preferences to your own content over your own pipes to those of all of your rivals. And so what you'll do is you'll slow them down, throttle down, you'll block them uh, or whatever. Now, my own view about this particular situation is let's suppose they had the perfect right to do this and their customers now know that if you stay with Comcast, what's going to happen is they're going to give you the content they want you to see and not the ones that you want to see. There's going to be a palace revolution on day number one. If I were running a company, I would, the first thing I would do would be to announce right then and there, we're not going to do this. We want to get you into our system and we'll give you the content wherever it comes from and we'll do our good effort to make it as good as possible. Comcast guys, they're not thick. They do exactly that. So one of the things that they've announced uh, in this situation is that they're opposed to all of these practices and they support uh, the introduction of rules through the Department of Justice or through the Federal Communication Question, which make these practices illegal. Now, I don't think they have to make the practices illegal. I think it's quite enough. What they should do is say, here's a million dollars. If anybody can prove that we've slowed down a block traffic, which we promised to give, you guys can turn around and collect all that loot from us uh, as a kind of a bond for good behavior. What they're trying to do is to stop competition from coming on with different models. Now, where is it going to matter? Well, there's something on the business known as paid prioritization, which means that we're going to ship some content more rapidly than other. Comcast has announced that it's against paid prioritization prioritization, I'll get the word down, um, they're <laughs> against it. And, you know, that's fine if they want to be against it and so forth. But somebody else is going to come along and say, look, I mean, I've looked at the mail system and, you know, you could go through the post office, you could go through Federal Express or UPS. And when you go through any one of these carriers, what you do is you could get same-day delivery, next-day delivery, two-day delivery, uh, Saturday delivery. There are all sorts of paid prioritization type schemes out there because it turns out that some people want more. And the thought that somehow or other you have to take the people with really high demand, say guys who are doing various kinds of trading on the stock market and give them the same slow kind of service that you're going to give people exchanging photographs for family albums. I don't think there's anything about that which is crazy. And so, you know, the tiers are something which exists in competitive markets all the time. And the basic rule is you don't want your concern with monopoly to prohibit the kinds of activities that competitive markets tend to generate in 
an effort to get greater amounts. So I don't think they should have put that. Uh, the FCC has announced it's interested in controlling these priorities that are given with respect to various kinds of content. I think that that one turns out to be a mistake. The other is less of a snake because I think, in effect, there's no sentiment whatsoever to try to block a throttle content which comes from some alien or outside system. So all in all, I would rather the merger be allowed to go through if they want to make these public pledges. God bless them. They should be entitled to do so. But I think that the regulatory stance that the FCC is taking is not going to work. And if they start reclassifying um, all of these information services as public utilities and common carriers, then the absolute rigidities that are associated with that kind of regulatory regime can throttle innovation for everybody. Okay, so walk us through the the next steps. What happens now and what do you think determines both with the Justice Department and the FCC, whether or not this ends up being a go? Well, you know, it's kind of complicated. One of the things that the FCC has done recently is to raise the standard for what it thinks to be an appropriate speed for broadband in order to make it appear as though Comcast has a stronger position. Nothing has changed on the ground, but they want to make it appear as though they're more monopolistic today than they were yesterday. I think the appropriate thing for the Justice Department to do is to ignore all of that stuff. I think it was done with an idea to influence the litigation, and it shows how one administrative agency could start to play footsie or games with respect to the others. I think, in effect, what happens is that the merger ought to be approved and the opinion ought to state (coughs) that we're doing this for the reasons that I mentioned. Um, We run the trade-off. We don't see any increase in monopoly power. Uh, This is not a question of political influence where Comcast has a lot, Time Warner has a lot. They combine and work together right now, in which they're protected, by the way, by First Amendment privileges to petition the government and all the rest of this stuff. So as a technical matter, we just don't see the peril. And then I think what one should say very emphatically, if not the FCC to somebody else, is an immunization from the antitrust law doesn't guarantee you any subsidies and it doesn't mean that you're a good investment. I mean, my view about it is that these companies, to the extent that they are relying on cable, may in fact be relying on a technology of the past and that all the wireless forms of communications will completely dominate them. Just look at the bidding that recently took place at the FCC on the Spectrum auctions and you know you saw $40 billion going out and the big scandal there, which I think is perfectly appropriate, is that Dish Network run by Charlie Ergen, who's to put it mildly a rather complex person, colorful person, he managed to get all these minority credits so as to say that he could bid X and have to pay only 07 or 0.6% of X. And, you know, I think that that's just wrong. And so I would much prefer the government basically clean up the way in which it prices these auctions and get rid of the so-called minority preferences and put them out to honest bid. That will start to expand capacity. Once you expand capacity, all the other good stuff that you want in terms of communications will follow. And indeed, if the FCC really wants to do something correct, it ought to completely reconsider the huge portions of spectrum that lay largely unused by local sheriffs and even by the military because where the real action is is in effect is in telecommunications and those spectrums are, you know, are used a thousand or ten thousand times more than some of the others and it's the rigidities of transfer across different uses which is the real scandal inside the FCC and that's what needs an immediate investigation today. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. Remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting definingideas at hoover.org and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. All right. 
This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.